From APM, this is the American Radio Works podcast. I'm Stephen Smith. More than half of public school students in the United States are people of color, but only 18% of their teachers are. Although more and more teachers of color are being hired, they're also leaving the profession more quickly than their white colleagues. In a recent op-ed in the Washington Post, Education Secretary John King connected this trend to the so-called invisible tax. That's when a teacher of color is the only minority teacher in their school, and the tax they pay is when they are expected to act as experts on every issue related to cultural diversity. Critics of the invisible tax say it can take a toll on a teacher's time and energy and lead to burnout. Dr. William Hayes is a middle school principal in Camden, New Jersey. He's a founding member of The Fellowship, a Philadelphia-based support group for African-American male educators. He spoke with American Radio Works associate producer Ryan Katz to talk about his work and the invisible tax. So in a sense, the invisible tax really speaks to this idea that there's an additional burden placed on teachers of color, in many cases by nature of them being the only one or only voice representing a particular demographic. And so there are certain um, additional responsibilities, expectations, or unseen challenges or barriers that come when you are the only voice in a particular building or setting. How does that play out? You know, in many cases, if there is a particular challenge with a student, teachers of color feel that they are unduly called on. Teachers are their own primary subjects or classrooms, but if there's a disciplinary issue in another classroom, the students may be sent there. Um, because they may have a better relationship or may be able to handle a student. Um, There's also challenges as it relates to just interacting with other colleagues. And so if there are questions of cultural competency or questions of stereotypes or societal issues, in many cases you feel like you are the only voice and are therefore responsible for advocating on behalf of an entire group of people. And so you have to constantly negotiate Do I push forward and say something? Do I sit back? I don't want to be the one to always point this out. I don't want to be the one who always has to represent this particular group. We also have to honor the fact that teachers of color are also teachers and so expected to have and demonstrate all of the skills and responsibilities of an effective teacher. And so in many cases, if you're being pulled out of your classroom or having additional students added to your classroom, that affects your ability to be an effective teacher to the ones who are assigned to you. And so there is also this tension between, you know, I have a cultural or community responsibility to take care of all students. Having more kids on my caseload doesn't necessarily help me serve the caseload to which I'm assigned. But I also don't want to put off or not make myself available to all students um, that I've committed myself to serve. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like the invisible tax has an impact on teachers' time. Absolutely. Teachers of color are drawn to the work out of a social responsibility. And so there is this inherent idea that I'm obligated to go above and beyond to do more, to take on more, to serve students who have been traditionally marginalized. It's heightened when you want to work on behalf of your school and you're committed to your school environment. And so you sometimes carry the burden of making sure that systems are equitable and that students are spoken for and advocated for. I'm sort of trying to imagine how it would play out in school. And I'm wondering if you could give us an anecdote or a story in terms of the impact of the invisible attacks on a particular teacher. So we have a member who's a teacher in our network. And so in many cases, he's developed systems within his classroom where all of the kids are invested and involved. And so he's constantly pushing the rigor and pushing the engagement. 
Um, just across the hall, there's another teacher who is struggling with classroom management, hasn't developed the relationships, has a number of parental issues. And so what you see is this principal now needing to negotiate. And so whenever they have issues in the class across the hall, they now go to his room for them to calm down, for him to settle them, for him to have a conversation. That's time that he's taking away from the instruction he's providing to his class to help support this teacher across the hall. To that point, during his planning periods, He's asked to come assist, let's just say, the assistant principal in the cafeteria because she has a hard time managing those kids. Or you now have parents who found out that he's an amazing teacher who has great relationships with kids, and now they want to flood his class. So he now carries a larger caseload of students than some of the other teachers in the school. He may also find himself the next year receiving some of the more challenging behavioral students. And so it's that type of just management of resources and people that you find that Teachers from diverse backgrounds are more often stretched in that way. And so I use the most concrete example of if there was only one Spanish-speaking person in a building and we had a parent conference and 60% of the parents spoke Spanish, then we would be taxing that person a great deal extra. And so the same is true culturally. When we think about how we utilize people who understand the culture to a greater extent or connect to that culture on a greater level, how we use them to fill in those cultural gaps of the system and people within the school. It must be true in a lot of schools that teachers who are more successful in their classroom have to make up in some way for their colleagues. And obviously, there's a lot of burden on teachers to spend their time uh, and most of their lives <laughs> surrounding the schoolwork that they do. You know, what's different about that for, for teachers of color versus, let's say, white teachers who have a particular set of skills themselves? So I think those challenges can be shared between white teachers as well as black teachers. I think the point that we make is that when you represent a minority voice in school, you're constantly having to challenge systems and biases. And so the question then becomes, is it the responsibility of a teacher to then educate those groups? If you are from a diverse background, a black teacher, an African-American male, may have a greater sensitivity to the racial biases, the systemic racism that exists within the school and within systems. And so you're constantly on red alert for that. And so you are constantly the one who's called to push back on systems that exist. And there's an undue burden um, to being in that position. I know a lot of white teachers who would like to increase their cultural competency, right? They want to understand their students of color and be able to uh, best serve them. So I think in some situations, maybe that gets called upon teachers of color to do that. And if that's an undue burden, what where is the responsibility, right? How do we deal with that situation? I think you deal with the situation by inviting diverse voices to the table. And so in the same way that we want to see racial equity across the workforce, we want to see gender equity. And so it's true that the workforce is very much dominated by women uh, in the education field. And so what does that mean for the male voice, um, for male students and the male identity? And so in that same way where our schools are becoming much more concentrated by color, what does it mean when an entire school, the majority of the teachers are white and or female, and it doesn't reflect the identity of the students that they serve? And so where do students see themselves. And so I think it's about balancing the perceptions, the viewpoints at the leadership table and the decision-making table within the school. Yeah. You you spoke about increasing numbers of teachers of color in schools, and we know that there is uh, a discrepancy there. We have research to show that. And I'm wondering why you think it's so important to have uh, teachers of color in role models uh, and teachers of color in leadership positions in particular. 
So I think it's important, one, for all students across the board, they see um, a diverse teacher workforce in positions of power. And so I think there's something to be said for students who look up and see the diversity in the people that lead them. And so I think it very much impacts the way they view the world around them. I think it impacts the way um, they perceive differences, and I think it impacts the way in which they interact with those um, that they will ultimately work with one day. All students can benefit from holding a black male in high esteem that challenges the negative stereotypes of black males in the media, black males in society, or on the news. And so I think having a diverse teacher workforce complicates the narrative of what it means to be a teacher of color, um, a teacher of a different ethnicity, a different religion, in the eyes of our students. So what can schools and, and districts do to help deal with the invisible tax? So I think schools and districts need to be very intentional, one, about the recruitment of diverse candidates, and so particular people of color. And so I often ask the question, a lot of districts have come forward and said, we need more minority candidates and minority teachers. But then you ask about what's your human resource plan to actually go out and recruit them, and you have very little details about what that looks like. And so I think districts and schools must be very intentional about saying, we want to have a more diverse teacher workforce, and this is what we're specifically doing to recruit a more diverse teacher workforce. And so whether that means we are going out to historically black colleges to find candidates of color, or we're going to the local universities to find candidates of color in teacher prep programs, or are we being more strategic and thinking long-term and developing pipelines that start much earlier uh, than graduate programs? So are we looking to our high school students to motivate and encourage them to go into education? Are we talking to college freshmen, sophomores, to consider teaching as a profession? I think it's also important to think about um, teachers of color leaving at much higher rates. And so the research does show that teachers of color are often placed in some of the highest need schools with the least support. And so you see them leaving at a greater rate um, than their white counterparts. So the question then must be asked, what are schools and districts doing to make sure that teachers of color feel supported? And so thinking about that unseen tax. How are we working to make sure that teachers of color feel supported, they feel that there's opportunity, that their voices are heard, that they feel like they are able to be effective in their classrooms, and they stay for the long term? And so if a district does not have a plan for both the recruitment and the retention of teachers of color, then we have a major problem. So tell me a little bit about the the fellowship and, and your work with that. So the fellowship is actually... Um, an organization started small between a group of black male educators across a series of positions, so principals, deans of students, assistant principals, teachers, who really were just coming together over dinner just to discuss the work. And so realizing that we were a small group of about 14, it became very clear that we weren't the only ones who were sharing our particular issue as it relates to being a black male educator in a system in which we were very few. And so we embarked upon this work. It started very small. We were only going to invite 30 black male educators in the city, and it turned into about 150 to really have discussions about key issues as it relates to education, as it relates to the students, as it relates to the city as a whole. The idea was also designed to provide an opportunity for black male educators to feel a part of a community, particularly if they were the only voice within their school. And so bringing these pockets of one, two, or three African-American males and bringing them all together to just create a united front and to build a community around the world. Dr. William Hayes is the principal at Mastery East Camden Middle School in Camden, New Jersey. He spoke to American Radio Works associate producer Ryan Katz. You can find a link to the fellowship's work at our website, AmericanRadioWorks.org. And while you're there, you can listen to our archive of more than 100 documentary projects. We'd love to hear what you think about American Radio Works, so please leave us a review on iTunes 
or let us know at AmericanRadioWorks.org, where you can click on the About page and scroll down to Share Your Impact Story. We are on Facebook at American.RadioWorks, and you can tweet us at AMRadioWorks on Twitter. Support for American Radio Works comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, Lumina Foundation, and the Spencer Foundation. I'm Stephen Smith. Thanks for listening. This is APM. <laughs>